0: Mark chapter 4, will you turn there with me? Andrew read the first part for us, and so we won't go over that again. He read the part that's actually Jesus telling of the parable. And I'm sure for many of you, uh, it's familiar if you've been in Sunday school or church for any length of time, you've probably heard this parable. First one, we've really gotten Mark. I know we had two little parables last week um, that were more of a proverbial sayings, but this is the, the first like main parable that uh, of Jesus Christ that were given in the gospel of Mark. It, they were important tools. Over one third of Jesus teachings were in the form of parables And uh, before we read Jesus' explanation of that parable in verses 13 to 20, I want to look at verses 10, 11, and 12 real quick here at the beginning. uh, Because it's in these that Jesus explains why he so often used parables. Let's read verses 10, 11, and 12. It says, and when he was alone, when Jesus was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be uh, forgiven them. It's a little odd, isn't it? When we know the message of Jesus that we've seen for the last three chapters... (laughs) so far, that Jesus wanted uh, people to repent and believe. That was his message. That's why he did the miracles to reinforce that message. Why would he say what he says here when he's trying to explain to his disciples the importance of these parables? So Jesus, um, what we've got to notice here is we find Jesus here no longer with that great multitude that verse 1 talked about, that heard the parable. Uh, that's the, I don't know where they went, but they weren't there. Jesus now, verse 10, is he's alone uh, with those that are about him, a much smaller group including. The 12 uh, disciples, and they want to know the meaning of the parable. Here, Jesus is with the ones who have uh, received Him, who have received His message of repent and believe, who have uh, put their faith in Him alone and in God's grace alone. And they ask Jesus to explain the meaning of this parable that Andrew read for us earlier. In verses 11 and 12, Jesus explains that um, these who are around him right now, these who had received him as his Savior, they were given an understanding about who he was and what he was doing and what he was teaching, while those without, that's what uh, the word was used there, without, or literally outside, those outside, they don't have this understanding. And look, in the time span of just three chapters, as we started um, our study in this account of Jesus' life, in just three chapters... That great multitude had consistently rejected Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Right off the bat, consistently rejected him. Now, there's some there who considered who he was and what he was doing as interesting, novel, new... Uh, But they saw the whole repent and believe stuff as just a little too much, a little unnecessary. And their response was apathy. In the last few weeks, we've seen a much more uh, angry response, an antagonistic response from some people, especially the religious leaders. They're already trying to kill him. It's only been three chapters and they're already trying to kill Jesus Christ. Both of these groups had rejected Jesus and the gospel. So Jesus explains here in verses uh, 10 through 12 why from now on he's teaching about the kingdom in parables. For those who had received him and who had received his gospel, parables were designed to reveal truth. But for those who had consistently rejected him and his gospel, the parables are designed to conceal that truth. And here's an important takeaway that we've got to understand uh, from these verses as well as the rest of uh, the chapter. There's, look, there's a time element regarding that question we asked last week. What will you do with Jesus? There's a time element regarding that. You're graced with time this morning. If you're here, you're graced with time to answer that question. You're graced with Jesus' explanation of this parable. It's revealed to you. It's not concealed to you. You're here. You're studying it. He gives you the understanding of it. Um, But as the early church leader, St. Augustine, said, God has promised grace to anybody who repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, but he's not promised tomorrow for our procrastination. Never once. And um, this morning, God graciously gives us a gospel message here in the sower, the seed, and the soil. Let's start in verse 13. He says, Unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sword, sown. But when they've heard it, Satan cometh immediately, or straightway, and he taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately, again, straightway, they receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves. And so they endure but for a time, and afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake. Immediately, again, straightway, they are offended. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. When well, they enter in, they choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. But these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and then they receive it, and they bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Before we look at this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit would um, be active. He's present. We know he's present here. In the lives of believers, I pray that he would have... Uh, no obstacles in our hearts. I pray that he would use your word and allow it to penetrate where it needs to penetrate. God, I, I pray for those watching uh, on our live stream for the same uh, with them. I pray if there's one here or one listening who's never trusted in you as Savior, they would see the gospel message and see this day of grace, that today is a day of salvation. For us who have, I pray that we would understand the, uh, the way this passage applies to our sanctification, to our continuing in Christ. And that we would never allow the good ground that the seed was planted in at one point to, to change its composition, to harden up, to become fraught with weeds and thorns. God, use your word this morning to do any weeding that's necessary in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the sower, God's work, verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, it says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, "'Know you not this parable?' How then will you know uh, any of the parables?' And he's saying to them, it's really important you get this, so I'm going to explain it down to the T so that every time I give a parable, you're like, ah, I gotcha. And the ones that are coming up. And Jesus here uh, in this sower. The the sower is God's work, and the first thing we learn about the sower is that to sow God's word is one of profuse planting. Jesus is the sower in this parable. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. It's Jesus, and we know from his other teachings and his commandments, including the Great Commission, uh, what the church is tasked with, that uh, all of his followers— we're to also be sowers. We're to follow him that way. We're to be as passionate as Jesus Christ is about sowing and planting the seed. Look at how he sowed this seed. It was put everywhere, wasn't it? And we're to do the same thing as we go about our lives. I like to say that if you look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that great commission when he says, go into all the world and make disciples, that word go, so small here in English, behind it is a whole big phrase in the Greek, and it means as you are going. So it means when I'm stopping at the gas station, when I'm going to Food Lion, and, and when you're doing the same, when you're going to work, I'm never gonna go to. Uh, probably won't ever go to the gas station that uh, that Evan goes to because I don't live where Evan is. But 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 God knows that there's people there that need the gospel. Um, I, I don't go where where Ricky goes. I, we don't have the same commute. He goes to Lumberton. I come here. And, and those those places that you go, and, and the school you're in, and the workplace you're in, I might never meet those people, but you do. And so as you are going, you're supposed to sow the seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to get. that out. Like Jesus, our method of doing this should be profuse and plentiful. Wherever we go, whenever we go here at Dublin, we call that here, there and everywhere. It means definitely here in Bladen County and in North Carolina and across this nation and even to other most parts of the world. We do that through things like OCC and through our mission trips and through uh, North Carolina Baptist Missions offering here in the state, through our, uh, the Lottie Moon offering coming up, Annie Armstrong offering. We, we, we do that that way. Sometimes we go. We've had people go to Moldova and South Africa and all over different places, Honduras before. Uh, but we need to be doing it here as well. Uh, we're called Just like Jesus did, to share the repent and believe good news of salvation by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Unfortunately, today, that that message is pretty rare, and um, I'll own it. It's rare from our pulpits, uh, and because of that, it's rare when the church goes out the doors of the church. If they don't get it here, they're not going to take it out of here. Uh, why is it rare? What are our excuses for not giving out the gospel for not sowing? I'm going to give you some of mine from personal testimony. Sometimes I don't know if it's the right time. I'm like, is this, should I be giving out the gospel now? What? And I, I don't know if they'll think I'm intolerant, right? They might look down on me or think I'm unloving. No. Pastor Vodi Bauckham says this. What's not loving is to look someone in the eye and... Um, when God says that they are in jeopardy of an eternity in hell and merely wink and nod at their sin because I'm afraid of being called names. We need to speak the truth, saints. We need to do it lovingly like Jesus did. Sometimes that's the most loving thing we can do is speak the truth in a loving way, in a Christ-like way. Uh, Jesus didn't wait to consider if people were ready and willing when he sowed the seed, when he gave out the gospel. He didn't... um, Wait to ascertain what kind of ground they were. No, it was just profuse planting. He loved them too much not to give it. He didn't wait to share it to see if well are they good ground or No, he just sower went out to sow. He did it profusely. He did it plentifully. He also did it with perseverance. We can see this sower is one of perseverant planting. The proof's right here in the parable. He cast some on. Some on good ground, but he also cast some on ground that was good, but then became fraught with weeds and thorns. We're going backwards here. He also uh, put some on, it looked like good ground, but underneath it was a layer of bedrock. It could never really take root. And then he put some, he threw it over there, and it landed on hard road. I think we ought to follow Jesus' method, don't you? I mean, he probably had a pretty good method of how he wanted the gospel disseminated. I know I can't honestly or correctly ascertain someone's heart. I can't tell if you're good ground. I might have an idea. Um, but I'm I'm probably, that, that level of judgment really doesn't even need to play a part. I just need to give out the gospel like Jesus did. I don't have that capacity to appraise that. And here's the thing, I don't want to. I can't even imagine that my incorrect appraisal would be the cause for me to disobey God's command or for that person to never hear the word of God, never receive the word of God and spend an eternity in hell. I don't want that to happen. So I just do what Jesus did. I'm profuse in my planting, plentiful. I give it out. Let God uh, take care of it. It's what he does. It's his work. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of Jason Lee. I'm very thankful for that. We've got to be perseverant in our planting. Uh, what if they reject the message? Look, they did. That's why Jesus is giving us this parable. For three chapters now, a bunch of people had rejected the message. That really shouldn't be our concern. Most, most people rejected his message. That part is not a concern for us at least in regard to obeying Christ's command here. I know that in my life it is a reason, so I'm just being real with you, and I think you probably can understand that too. It might be a reason that I don't share because I did and nothing happened. Well, that's, again, salvations of the Lord. I'm so glad I don't have to close the deal. I just have to give out the seed. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ using the Word of God that does that. We're going to look at that in a second. Perseverant planning doesn't quit when the seed begins to sprout. Some of you have gardens and we got a few farmers here. Have one in the early service, so I know we got one back there. Right here it is. We got some farmers here, right? What would happen? Like oh, and I'll give you my testimony about a garden in a little bit. It's really bad. But what would happen if I took that seed and I went out there and I went and I put it in there and I watered it, and that was my garden. I mean I got a bunch more seeds, but I gotta check this out and see if it works first. And I water it and I come out there a week later. Hmm, nothing. I come out there a week later. Hey, we got a sprout. That's what I did, didn't I? I did do that. But what if I just planted one and I got all these other seeds? I'm missing some time, ain't I? Pretty important time. They need to be in the ground to grow. The seed has to be there. But that's so often what we do with the gospel. I gave it out and nothing happened. I'm not going to do this. It don't work. No, it works. It's God's work. He's the sower. We just need to give it out. We need to be plentiful in doing it. We need to persevere when we do it. Psalm six five says, They who sow in tears shall reap in joy. That's kind of a weird verse to me. Um, because whether you're gardening or farming, is there anything really sad about it in and of itself? I mean, honestly, opposite's true. It's usually a hopeful time in the spring when you're planting. You're hoping for a good harvest. You do your due diligence. You plant. You get the ground ready. You get everything going. It's a hopeful time. It's not a, why would God say those who sow in tears will reap in joy? And I think what he's trying to communicate there is this. You need to sow no matter what. Are you crying? Sow. No stopping sowing when you're crying. What would happen, some of you gardeners, some of you farmers, Craig and Mr. William, what would happen if you're like, I can't go plant today, I'm sad? It's got to get out there. The seed's got to go out. And what is the promise of God? When you do that, when you're faithful to do that, what will happen? You sow in tears, what will happen? You reap in joy. You reap in joy. God will bring, you might not ever see that reaping until you get to heaven, but you'll reap in joy. That's the promise of God. We got to get out there regardless. We need to be perseverant in our planning. We need to be profuse, plentiful. Putting the seed out there. That's what Jesus commands us to do here in that parable. Let's look at the seed, God's word. In verse 14, it says, The sower soweth the word. That's what we're supposed to be putting out there, not my opinions. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing that can actually change people's lives. Do you know why it's so encouraging to do that? Because this is alive and it's transformational. This is a good seed that we're sowing. We can put it out there and just know, trust that God's going to do the work. That ought to give us great hope, great motivation for obeying this. Now, when I planted this garden, here we go. Self-deprecating testimony. I worked, I cut it, I tilled it up. I even put, put fertilizer in it. I watered it faithfully, and I put seeds in there. And it started going really well, didn't it? I planted just things like, she said, what are you doing? You've never done a garden before. It's going to be a disaster, right? And it, was, it wasn't. That's what you said, and you weren't wrong. Um, but <laughs> but I, I planted the things I wanted. I love Winter squash, because I'm a Yankee, right? So butternut, acorn. I put all those things in there, pumpkins, and we, we planted them. And they came up. they really good all over. But there was no fruit, no vegetable. And I got one. I got one. And I was really excited. And then I talked to some of my gardening friends, and I said, my concern is that there is no honeybees out here doing what honeybees need to do in order to make the... So some of you, Vanessa, taught me the trick with getting a paintbrush and me being the honeybee. It didn't work, right? I had one. I had one one squash and it didn't make it after the the hurricanes and the repeated rains. It didn't make it. All right. Here I went and I said, "Let me try number 2." And it was still I could still plan. I had some season left and I ordered these tape things. Uh, somebody told me they were good. They're not. Um, It's like thin gauze of paper, and the seeds are just set apart for a dummy. It's like gardening for dummies, and I don't even have to put them the right distance, and I put them in there. Four rows of spinach, and four rows of carrots, and four, like two rows of beets, and two rows of lettuce. I mean, things that anybody really should be able to grow, and nothing. I got one beet, one beet. And I was proud of that beat, wasn't I? <laughs> I was so proud of it. She was making fun of me because uh, it's fun. And I was proud of that beat. And I was going to bring it here today. She's like, what are you going to do with one beat? I was like, I'm going to use it for this sermon as an object lesson. And I do not have a beat for you today because I went to pluck it yesterday morning. And there was beet greens. Looked good on the upside. And when I pulled it out, there was not even anything around there. Something beginning to be somewhat bulbous. and but. I got nothing. What was wrong with those seeds? I don't know. <laughs> but this one, Hebrews 4.12, says the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. First 1 Peter 1.23, thank God it's not my seeds. First 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable. It's through the living and enduring word of God. That is what calls people to salvation. You put it out there. God does the work. It's alive. It's transformational. Psalm one, nineteen, thirty-seven. David says, "Turn my eyes from worthless things. Give me life through Your Word." This seed, this seed is alive. The seed is alive. Church, look what happens to it. Verse twenty, <laughs> when when they hear it, the good ground that gets in there, they hear the word, they receive it, and they bring forth fruit. They do have things growing. They bring life. Happens. Are you sowing? Are you planting? That's what we're supposed to do. It's what followers of Jesus do. They sow. They plant. Are you getting the word of God to people so that they can hear it and receive it? I don't know what was wrong with my seeds. Probably nothing. Because what's actually amazing is in that little thing, there was life in there. There was. It's probably, in my situation, It's probably something wrong with the sower or the soil. But there was life in there. Um, That's an amazing truth. We need to give it out. We can have confidence in this seed right here. We just need to give it out like Jesus did. And we can see what happens through this parable from it. It's not just alive and transformational. It's authoritative. This is truth. John eight thirty two, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you, it sets us free. This is truth. It's authoritative. Psalm 119. I love that chapter. It's nothing but um, David expressing his value and his love for God's word. It says this, the sum, the entirety, the sum, Genesis to Revelation, the sum of your word is Truth. Right here. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And our prayer ought to be David's cry in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, so that I might walk in your truth. I got to know your truth before I can walk in it. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is authoritative. This is truth. And we live in a world where that concept is, there's a battle for it. I hear people all the time. You have your truth and I have my truth. That's ridiculous. There's only truth. There is just truth. They want to say that because they're declaring truth is relative. It's not. It says in here, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. There are things that are good and there are things that are evil. They have always been that way. They just are and they will always be that way. This is truth. I got to take a pause here. Um, A call to action or arms. Look, about 40 years ago in this convention, we had a battle. We did over what's called inerrancy. Some people said that this contained truth, but this wasn't truth. There was truth in here probably somewhere, and it was up to certain different people to decide what that was, seminary professors, things like that. And we, we fought that battle. I should say y'all fought that battle. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful Dublin First Baptist fought that battle. And we won that battle by God's grace because people took a stand and said that this is authoritative, this is truth. They stood for the inerrancy of God's word. We're going to always face that battle. Satan's trying to constantly get us to question that. But I think what we've got a problem with today, at least what I'm seeing, and I'm warning my church against because I love you, is I don't think we're fighting that so much as we're fighting a battle as, is this sufficient? That was a battle for inerrancy. I believe we're right now in a battle for sufficiency. Is this sufficient to handle anything in your life? God says it is. is. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all that all scripture, given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It tells you the way, the road. It tells you this is the road it says hey you got off it it says hey this is how you get back on this is how you stay on it this will meet every need in your life we've got people today in in churches probably because they came from seminaries where that is questioned now whether this is sufficient they see the problems in the world today And with good hearts, probably with good hearts and good intentions, they want to address those problems. And they say we need to add things like critical race theory and social justice in order, we need to add those things to God's word in order to correct these problems. This takes care of social justice. This takes care of critical race theory. Now you might not know what I'm talking about. It says that basically all of our problems come down to systemic racism. Racism is a problem. It's a wicked problem out of the pit of hell. And we need to address it. Thank God God's word addresses it. We don't need anything extra. It says right there, you want equality? I'll tell you where it is. It's at the foot of the cross. You're all sinners. Every single one of you, white, black, male, female, rich, poor, everybody who's been on this world, born in this world, you're a sinner. And you can't get more equal than that. But thank God there's also equality in what you do with it. You do with the cross. What will you do with Jesus? And when you turn to Jesus Christ, do you know what happens? That blood makes you all one blood. the power of that blood. One blood is what Paul says in Galatians. He says, there's not Jew and Gentile. There's not male and female. There's not bond and free. There's not master and servant anymore. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And what they say is all these things, these worldly philosophies, they say, well, it celebrates diversity. No, it creates division. This, this unifies. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what unifies. That's why he gave it to us to, to wreck this plan of Satan. That racism is in any other division that we find. To wreck that. This is authoritative right here. Church, you better have a compass in life. God's given you one. Don't neglect it. This is your compass. You need a standard. If you're not, you're going to be floating around, tossed to and fro, shifting with popular opinion, philosophies, whatever might seem to, to work. Let me tell you what works. God's word. It's alive. It's transformational. It's authoritative and it's truth. Let's look at the soil. Last section, verses 15 to 20 get three bad ones, three problematic and resistant soils. Verse 15, there's this one, it's like the road, and the gospel goes out and they hear it, but before they can do anything with it, these birds, Satan, come and take it away. Got a heart here, of a stone-cold apathy or antagonism like the Pharisees to Jesus' message of repent and believe. This ultimately is a message for people to come to faith in Christ. But I don't think it's outside of God's word to make application for those who already have. Because look, if you're here, your heart was the good ground. We'll look at in verse 20. At some point, your heart was good, good ground. The word of God got in there. The Holy Spirit used it. The seed was planted. You responded. You accepted Christ as your Savior. But you have to keep doing that. You have to stay in that word. You have to keep that soil good. It has the capability of turning back into these bad kinds of ground. So yes... Make sure you give out the gospel everywhere. Put it on the road. Let God do it. Let God deal with, with, with what happens there. But make sure, Christian, you don't... Can a Christian ever be hard like a road? I can't help but look at the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, a lukewarm church. They think they're alive and they're dead. Think they're doing what God wants them to do. They have no clue. Jesus is outside of that church. He's knocking on the door of the church. That heart got hardened again. What about the other ground here? It's likewise, it says in verse 16. So a lot like that hard road, there's that kind of has just a little thin soil, but underneath it is bedrock in verses 16 and 17. It says they hear the word of God and actually receive it immediately, straightway. They receive it with gladness. They're excited about the Lord. But then what happens? Affliction comes. Persecution comes because of the word, because of Jesus Christ. Somebody makes fun of them for their faith. There's persecution. It's inconvenient. I got to go to church. No, you don't got to go to church. You get to go to church. I got to study God's word. I got to do all... No, you get to do all these things. And when persecution arises, what does it say? Happens. Immediately, straightway, they're offended. It was just a temporal, emotional response. short-lived Christian, you were good ground once. You had to have been to come to Christ but has anything happened in your life to make that thin and shallow now? There's rock coming up underneath it like this bedrock here. And the moment affliction or persecution comes for the sake of Jesus Christ or for the cause of his word, you quit Jesus. You quit God's word. You quit God's church. I'm afraid we're seeing that today in this nation and all over this world. People who profess Christ, but they don't stay long. Let it never be true of believers. we got to battle against it. There's that tendency. There's that capability there. Look at verse 18 and 19 here. The love for Jesus. It once There was once there, it was beautiful signs of life. They planted, they sprouted, and weeds and thorns came in and choked them out. And, and once there was a desire for Jesus, but that fades away because of the cares of this world. Notice that's not even sin. That's just busy with life. We're all busy, aren't we? More than ever, Probably. And just the busyness of life. And then now he starts talking about sins. Also, the deceitfulness of riches, temporal values. And even this, the, the, the lusts of other things. It's pretty broad. And that's been intentional. Because he's saying, Jesus was on the throne. Something else, he took him off. And something else went there. These are weeds. These are thorns. And this is the ground, I think, as me, I think most Christians have, have to war against this. I think there's a constant, Satan wants us constantly to be turning into thorny, fraught ground, weed, uh, fraught ground. Those things compete for nutrients. And um, the word of God that began life and that will sustain life, well, it's set aside. Prayer is set aside. Coming together for worship and discipleship with God's people, it's set aside. And slowly, Jesus gets choked out. God's word gets choked out. Spiritual life, spiritual vibrancy slowly Dies, but let's look at that fourth ground. Verse twenty. It's prepared. It's reproducing. They heard the word. They heard it, and they receive it. All right. All the other other soil types. They heard the word too. One other type that. That short-lived real thin layer they heard the word and received it too what was the difference there well it was again a short-lived it was temporal i want you to quickly to turn to first thessalonians we'll be right back here just want to look at like two or three verses here first thessalonians one because paul here describes exactly uh what happens with good ground you're like well how come this ground was good and and how do i be this ground uh first thessalonians chapter one verses five and six Paul's talking about this church he loves so much, and he says in chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, you didn't just hear it, but also came in power and the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, how come? Because you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Who was involved there that made the difference? The Holy Spirit was involved there. Now I'll flip over to chapter 2, verse 13, just like a page over. first uh, Thessalonians two thirteen. Here's the key, I think. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. We are so thankful for you. We give God praise for you because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you didn't receive it as the word of men. But as it is, in truth, it was the word of God to you, which effectually worketh in you, which believe. Now back to Mark 4, verse 20. What is the difference? I think it's right there. These people, the Holy Spirit impressed upon them. I hope he's doing it right now and with people watching, that this is the word of God. This isn't just another way, you know, like Buddhism, Islam, or 25 other different ways to God. There's only one way to God. It's Jesus Christ, the straight way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit put that on their mind and on their heart, and they yielded to Jesus Christ. There was no other room. There was no other option. They had to do it because God's word is alive and it's authoritative to them. It was sufficient to them. It says in in the first uh, section there in verse 6, you received it with afflictions and you were still joyful. What happened to the thin layer? They had afflictions come. The joy was gone. They just said, no, this ain't worth it. Not these people. Afflictions came. You know what they said? Don't matter. Jesus is better. Persecutions came. They said, don't matter. I'm God's child. I got God's word. I'm his Forever. They have the straight way look at the fruit verse 4 verse uh, chapter 4 verse 20 look at the fruit 30 fold i got no fold right 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold notice there is no no fold there's no no fold those who are planted on good ground those who are christ there's some kind of fruit what's he talking about is he talking about reproducing yeah that's what fruit is for it's not for the plant so that there's more reproduction. So should you be sharing the word, seeing other people come to Christ? I hope so. It's a blessing. That's definitely an application here. He's the sower. You responded to the seed. The seed responded to the seed, and you need to be sowing. Yeah, that's what this is about. I think it's a little more than that, though. When we talk about fruit in God's word, Galatians, right? What is the fruit that the Holy Spirit who called you to faith in Christ? What is that fruit? It's love. That's important. It's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. All things that only a person that's been saved by God's grace has any possibility of being or doing. That's fruit. Some of us, it's 30. We got times in our life when it's 30. There's always fruit. 30, 60, 100. It's always there. There might be one watching uh, today or here, and you've never responded. You never trusted Jesus Christ. You might never heard the gospel. It's the first time you've ever heard of anything like this. Don't wait. Again, there's a time element here. I don't know how long we have. I don't know if there'll be another chance. Respond to Jesus Christ. He calls you today. Trust in him and him alone for your salvation. If you have questions about what that means, you can call me, email me, but we're giving you time and an invitation now to respond as well. It says on the back of your bulletin, it says on their website, what it means to be saved. But Christians, do you still see the seed, that God's word here? Do you see it as the sole source of life? Are you giving it out? Are you being plentiful? Are you being perseverant and doing it? Are you really living like this is the sole authority in your life? I mean, really living like it and how you respond to it and how you treat it on a daily basis. What kind of ground are you this morning? If there was a time you were good ground. You were, you may still be. But um, have you allowed something to alter that soil composition? Have you become problematic, resistant? Has apathy crept in and there is a hardness that you don't want to be a part of anymore? You You don't want to turn into that kind of ground. You want to stay good ground. The Holy Spirit wants to use his word this morning to call you to soften the fruitfulness. There might be some affliction or persecution like this other ground or this second one. And it's saying uproot. Quit. Quit Jesus. It's just not worth it anymore. And the Holy Spirit wants to use God's word this morning. Say, stay put. (laughs) Root down. Don't root up. Root down. Saying, keep on. Keep on for Jesus. Or has the busyness of life and cares of this world and the chaos of 2020 or the allure of this world, is it taking root around you and slowly... Dangerously choking your Christian commitment. And this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to use the Word of God to do some weeding. Will you let them? Will you say, please get this stuff out of here this morning? We're going to sing a song of invitation. However, the Spirit of God is using the Word of God today to call you to respond. I just ask that you.